You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. Where, where are you at right now? I'm at my Malibu place. I'm always at my Malibu place. Yeah, guess what I just got done doing? Take a wild guess. Hunting? No. no. Did you go running? I've been running a little, but no. I just got off the treadmill. I did the I did the fifteen fifteen test, and I was watching you kick ass at High Rocks. Oh, nice! How'd the fifteen fifteen test go? Did you break one six? No, on my Nordic track. You know, you know my story, right? I've been running for two months. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to break fifteen fifteen on one six. I, th- I think my best is at for one seven one. But we have this discussion. Like the Nordic track is not a normal treadmill. Why buy one then? Because it's awesome. Did, wait, did you do yours on a normal or on a Nordic track? Oh, no, I did mine on a normal one. Who, who the hell can afford a Nordic track? You not can. All, not all of us were on The Bachelor and get free shit. If I, by the way, see another dude on The Bachelor, I know three people now who have been on The Bachelor, and they all pop out and have a massive social media uh, account, and then they start a business, and everyone's like, oh, my God, you're such a guru. I'm like, this turd was just on a dating show. He's not a guru. I would like to add that I did all of this before I even started any social media. I applaud you. You, 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 were, you, were, you were a trainer. You've increased your business and everything. But like, there's so many of these dudes. I, just, I think I should just go on The Bachelor. They go on there to start a business. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I don't care to date anybody right now. I will just go on the show. You guys could call me the asshole. And then I'll bounce out. I'll have a half million followers. And now I have this business. You know, I know a lot of guys that have done the show and knowing your personality, Hunter, you may be in trouble because you'd be the guy who'd end up engaged at the end being like, oh, shit. They're going to they're gonna keep you around long enough because you're entertaining. And then suddenly she's going to realize you actually have a heart somewhere in there. And then it's all over, Hunter. And then you're going to be married and then your life is going to change forever. Whatever, dude. If I have a TV star, baby, that's cool. Don't let them give you a flack for getting a free Nordic track. How many free pieces of exercise equipment do you own? I'll tell you guys this much. My tread, uh, my gym started out with two 50-pound kettlebells and a TRX, and now it's probably worth about forty dollars to $45,000. I believe it. And I don't – I bought a lot of it. So, like, I took a deal from Dick's Sporting Goods to be sponsored by, uh, for, by Second Skin. And I was like, you guys are a super multi-million dollar company. There's, like, there's no way that I'm going to be – the face of this brand and not take a significant chunk of change. They're like, well, we can't give you money on that regard, like to that high of a level. But I was like, okay, I want whatever you're not going to give me in cash for the rest in Dick Sporting Good cards. And they gave me tens of thousands of dollars in Dick Sporting Good cards. <laughs> so that's how I built my gym. Like I probably have about 1,200 pounds in a weight and, and gosh, probably like 20 dumbbells, rower, assault bike, regular, um, treadmill true form treadmill did you pay for your true form no they gave me the true the, uh the true form did you pay for your assault bike no yeah so don't give kirk any bachelor drama here hunter who can afford these things if you aren't famous and fit that's my thing. here's my conundrum i'm cheap but i'm not famous enough to get stuff free so i called the most famous person i knew and had him hook me up with a deal for my nordic track Who's that, Bracken? That's Kirk Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that bridge is no longer able to be crossed. 
I think I'm going to go on The Bachelor. I don't know why I keep on working my ass off so hard in OCR to show up for a race for like $1,200. Like we literally <laughs> just go on national television, like probably punch some dude in the face, kiss a girl a bunch of times, maybe propose to her and then like walk away and be like, you weren't worth it anyways. And everyone's like, gosh, he's incredible. Let's invest in his business. Not if you're the most hated man in America. I know you were the most hated man in America for a while. Yeah, it's because I don't have a heart. I'm going to pour one out right now for the mullet. I notice it's not here. I know. Well, dude, we were on this hike and I thought to myself, I was like, I've had this thing for two years and I've thought of so many ways of like what I'm going to do to it next, how I'm going to get rid of it next. And I was like, this thing's a wild beast. Like, I was like, I can't just cut it off and let it die on the floor of some salon in in West Hollywood. I was like, that's the worst thing to ever happen to a mullet. So (laughs) I took off the scissors and I was like, papa, straight off the back amongst like a bunch of redwood trees and stuff in the Northern Pacific. And uh, that's the best way to go out if you're a mullet. When you threw it over the cliff, Lisa burst out laughing. She loved it. (laughs) Uh, it's pretty fun what you can do with these real things now. I, I'm annoyed by how much I'm entertained by my own social media. I'm like, wow, I could do this and this and this. 45 minutes later, you're like, damn, I've wasted my day. Hunter, do you have a uh, – my hair is getting long. I can pull it down to about my lips now. And I, I'm starting to realize I don't have a hair care regimen. How do you keep those those flows looking good? I have about five stylists. Each of them are holding different parts of my hair and kind of like massaging mm. my jawline. Mm. There's this one guy who takes care of me really well. Trust me. <laughs> what do you mean by that? No, I'm trying to, I, I kind of caught myself off guard in the sentence. While growing out this mullet for two years, it probably could have been down to my ass crack if I hadn't kept on going into like random salons as I was traveling around. It's like, I got to clean up the mullet. I would sit down and I'd say, do not touch the back. What, what does a nice hairstylist say to the, the, the statement, I need to clean up my mullet? A lot of them are thrown off. Like, people are like, you have such beautiful hair. Why are you doing this to yourself? And I was like, just stop. Stop. Do not put your professional opinion in my life. Just cut the hair, please. And they would just, every single time, without fail, they would chop the back off. They always did. So part one, if you want to have long hair, don't let anybody touch it. And then find the absolute length of what you think is going to be like where like the phoenix rises from the ashes. Then cut it and you'll look like Rico Suave. But- if you decide to go into some salon, dude, you're always just going to be two steps behind where you want to be. Rack, and none of this is useful. I could grow out a mullet. You could. <laughs> now that would be a statement. Do you know, that's what Benjamin Franklin had. He was bald on top and had like this like beaver tail of a mullet in the back. I would have the Dracula widow's peak on top is what I would have. Disturbing. You won't know unless you try, Bracken. No one needs that in their life. <laughs> Bring it back, dude. Come on. So Hunter, I, I got done watching you. I'm late to the party, but I just got done watching you. Like, I'm going to say it like it is. Make those other guys look like little kids in the High Rocks World Championships. You were just a puppeteer crushing souls, man. It was really impressive to watch. I just watched it like 30 minutes ago. I just want to know, like, was that a, did you know that thing was in the bag? Like, was this not even an issue for you winning that championship? And how much difference did running on that treadmill make versus putting your feet on real ground? Tim, you sent a lot of questions my way. So I'll start out by saying thank you. Um, I knew that I was going to win just because of like where I'm at just right now, probably of just 10 years of athleticism. I started out doing tons of aerobics, then went super strong, and now I have the combination of both. So Lucas and all these other guys are like maybe three or four years on each of those things, so they're just a little bit far behind me. But I was out of shape, at least in my version of shape. 
Um, like I've been sitting at this desk for so long doing OCR stars and a bunch of other stuff. Like typically a good training day for me is about 90 minutes to two hours in the morning and 90 minutes to two hours at night. And I'm doing 50% of that. So I knew that my engine was going like if we had, if it was a 75 minute long race, I may have had like a chance of losing it. Mm. If you know what I mean? Like every minute past 45 minutes for me, it's hard. Cause you were the only one who still though at the end looked like you had your composure. Like the guys you beat look smoked. Well, that's because I started out slow. I started out slow. Like you we're all right next to each other. Typically if we're all racing, it was much harder to race on these things. One, because of the amount of effort that you have to put in to propel this thing. Because this was the assault treadmill, right? Not a regular treadmill. No, it was assault treadmill. And that takes like, they say, they say like 30 to 40% more energy to move that thing. Supposedly, I don't know how it's measured, but it's exhausting. Um, like I tested an 80% mile on it two days before the championship and I ran a 705. Like that's not a, that's not an 80% mile for me. Um, and basically while I was racing on the thing, I was standing next to the guy who is my greatest competitor and he was running like 14 to 15 kilometers per hour. And I'm sitting back and I'm running like 13 high, 12 high. And I was like, okay. I was like, damn, this better work out. Cause he was the days before would get on the treadmill and just start running. And you hear like this thing, like, <laughs> like it was about to rip off the track. I was like, this guy's trying to show off right now and make everybody think that he's still the world champion. Cause he won last year and he would get on the ski erg and he would pull the thing and the metal would start bending. And I was like, Oh shit. I was like, he's going to blow up. He's too jerk. Like he's like too jacked up right now. So I just was like, I'm going to have to make my moves because he was a minute and 20 seconds ahead of me at one point. Um, I was like, I have to make my moves after the sleds. And uh, I was just lucky that I paced it just properly. I probably could have gone like 58 if I went all out, but um, I maybe would have blown up like he did. He went all out from the beginning. I could have maybe started to push later at the end, but I don't know. It was, um, it was just like good training and also experience. I, I would just say that's probably it. Well, Lucas is an animal. And for people that aren't familiar with him, he is an, a, a hyper aggressive racer, which I think is if someone's going to beat you, they're going to have to take it to you from the start. They're not going to be able to slow play it because your sled game and your late half of the race is too strong. And so he almost like he had the right idea. He just, he couldn't pull it off. It was good, but not good enough. Well, dude, he's, he's showing up to the invitational on February 20th. So if he changes his strategy a little bit, he could save himself two minutes and then he's right next to me. If I change my strategy a little bit, I could either go slower or faster. So hopefully we both increase our times and it's still a very tight race. He runs ridiculously fast his first kilometer or two. Yeah. I think he's like a 32 minute 10K guy currently. With his build, like his current build, that's flying. Yeah, he's fast. It's ridiculous. He ran 3.0 for his first K in Miami. I think he's eighty. I think he's eighty kilos. So he's what is that? One hundred and seventy pounds. Yeah. So it's like right around. He's also like five seven, five eight. Yeah. He's jacked. Makes me look tiny sometimes. Well, how does it? So what's the deal then? If you were only doing half the volume, like how does how do you throw that together? Like that's just like the fitness you built in the past. Like you could get away with half of the amount of work on that sort of notice and just get it done, huh? So it'd be like the powerlifting world record holder in the squat. Like if he's a thousand pounds and everybody else in the world is like 850 to 900 pounds. So he's just pretty far ahead of people, almost like 10%, which I am almost, I'm almost like five minutes ahead of the rest of the competition. 
it's like, I just, I didn't train as hard as I needed to for probably like the last six months. And if I only lost, you know, 5% of my fitness, I'm still two, two minutes ahead of those guys is my point. I, I feel bad saying this stuff. I'm not trying to diminish anything. I just know that I can do better next time I'm out there. Like at this in, invitational, I think I should be in like 55 flat shape. I agree. It's you're in a tough spot because I just think that this competition is set up that you're going to be physically better at this style of race than anyone else. Like anyone who's significantly faster than you can't do the work and anyone who can do the work as good or better cannot be faster. And so I think it'll take an adjustment in the competition for someone to, to dethrone you unless you have just a terrible day or get hurt or something or cramp. Well, Isaiah is showing up supposedly, and so is Ryan Atkins. Isaiah is just one of those kind of people where he will just not even think about how many bullets he has in his clips and just start pulling the trigger as much as he can, and hopefully it takes you out. And then all of a sudden he could look at his gun, and he's like, well, either Hunter's dead or I'm out of bullets. Which one is it? Um, <laughs> so he's always like a very risky racer, and he's the closest person who's been to me in the United States. Um, and then Atkins is one of these kind of guys that he's like a sponge, like anything he picks up, he immediately absorbs. So maybe first go around, he may not have his best run, but second go around, he may be tremendously good. So yeah, there's a very competitive field coming. What do you think about David Megiddo? Oh man, David Megiddo and I had a long talk the other day about this. He's so convinced that he is probably the best person to be competing against me. And I made a bet with him on paper. He is. On paper, he's a great athlete, but I made a bet with him. I said, I'll give you a deal right now if you're so confident in yourself because we only have a certain amount of spaces. I said, and I'll show you the text message. I said, if you want to show up and you come top three, I'll invite you. But if you come top three, I'll give you an extra $5,000 bonus from my own pocket. If you don't come top three, you give me $5,000 out of your pocket for wasting my time. <laughs> and he said, no. So I knew right then and there that he's not competitive <laughs> enough. Like that was me calling his bluff. Like, sure, I may have lost $5,000 if he showed up and did well, but I knew ahead of time, at least that if he shows up, I know already that he doesn't have a freaking chance because he's not even confident enough to bet $5,000. So he's not in it anymore? Well, I mean, I said, dude, you're, you're on the list. We, we can't pick everybody right now because probably by February 20th to like February 25th, we'll have a list of like, 20 plus athletes on each side right now we have way more than that but we're kind of like really trying to look at everybody we've sent out invites but we haven't sent out like you know plane tickets if you know what i mean because mm -hmm. there's a lot of people saying i'm confirmed to go i don't control this by the way i, I um i'm an independent and they're a company so they're like including me in it but every day i talk to them on the phone things change so i'm only shooting from the hip with a lot of the information i have but uh I can already tell you based on the conversations I have with Megita, he's, he's already lost mentally. He hasn't even tied his shoes yet. I <laughs> um, think that race is long enough for Atkins to breathe down your back a little bit, or do you think the stuff's too heavy for him? I actually don't think the things are too heavy for him. I just think that, I don't know if you guys know this about Atkins, but he's like a broken man. He physically in certain positions, like cannot get into it. Like if you ask him to do a squat, even like face standing, face standing is another person like this. Mm -hmm. They literally can't do it because they've literally been running their entire lives and never changed their plane of motion whatsoever. And that's how you become a world champion at something. You just focus super, super, super hard. Um, it's just that his movement pattern doesn't necessarily lend itself to this style of racing. Um, he's enormously strong at pulling. He's got an incredible engine. He could probably do a hundred squats 
but can he hit depth every single time? Can he squat and throw and hit the target every single time? Like mm. that's the difference between a squat and a wall ball. And I talked to him on the phone yesterday. He called me. He's like, what do I need to do? And I was like, I'd rather you show up in the best shape possible so that if I do beat you, that we can say that you, I beat somebody who is primed. Like it's not fun to show up with somebody who doesn't know what the heck they're doing. So I gave him all the information mm -hmm. I could give him. I said, you don't need to worry about the sled poles, the rows, the skiers, the burpees, like none of that stuff. I was like, dude, you need to practice like getting in a squat, like practice your mobility, get in the bottom, push your knees out and stuff and try to hold position with a wall ball, like a ball on your hand or something in your hand. So he certainly could do amazing. I just think that some of these people have to make little transformations to, to hit hit that goal. Just like right now, I'm fasting every single morning and I'm going out for an hour to two hours and doing cardio. And I've already gone from 210 to 203 in the past two weeks. Like I intentionally went on a hike and brought less food that I needed to so that I'd start to lose weight because I know I'm going to go from High Rocks to the uh, Jacksonville race, hopefully, um, and go compete. So you just have to sacrifice certain things to hit certain goals. Atkins is an interesting one because you look at it on paper and you say, He's going to lose minutes on the sleds. He's going to lose minutes on wall balls. He's going to be, he's it, everyone's first high rocks punches him squarely in the face. And you get to this level of destroyed that you haven't felt or at least different. It's a different level of destroyed, but every single time I've ever expected him to do bad at something, he goes out and wins it or goes top three. It's the, it's a 10,000 hour roll. I was just listening to Markham Gladwell's uh, book, the outliers. And the study is like 100% precise. It doesn't necessarily mean like, let's say one guy has a hundred percent talent capabilities and the other person has 80% talent capabilities. If the person who has a hundred percent has only done 3000 hours versus the or three to 5,000 hours versus the person who has 80% capabilities, but has done seven to 10,000 hours, that person with the more hours, especially the closer it gets to 10,000 always has the better chance for success. And if you look at somebody like Atkins, he's been racing on the national cyclist team, unicycling, rock climbing, played football in high school and wrestled in like high school. And now he's been competing professionally since 26, 2014 in the OCR circuit. And has probably showed up to like every single race possible, whether it's battle frog, tough mudder or Spartan race, he races more than anybody. So he just has so much awareness. Um, he's prepared. Like I had a talk with Johnny and he got so pissed at me after Jacksonville last year. I said, Dude, you're not doing well because you're not, it's not that you're not talented. I was like, you train all the time, but you don't compete all the time. I was like, you need to come into the gym with us a couple, once or twice a week and just do like one of our wads of like kettlebell swings, push ups, pull ups, and 400 meter runs. I was like, just come and compete against us. Like, it's not going to hurt you and it's going to teach you to know when to push, when to hold back, like what it's like to have that competitive energy in your life because all you do is jog to the top of a hill and then run down even faster. And that's not competing. So Johnny's a novice still, and that's why somebody like him, who has all the talent in the world, comes 12th at Jacksonville, and, and, and uh, Atkins comes first. We just talked about that, didn't we, Bracken, in our last uh, Training Tuesday? Yep. So what, so what about then? Okay, so you said you're just you're cutting up weight here. I'm excited to hear that you might be playing in the mud with your friends in Jacksonville. Is this going to be taken away now from other endeavors? Does that mean like we're going to see like – skinny ripped and ready to go hunter for like the remainder of the year or are we just showing up to like beat our chest and kick some ass and then go back into like tough guy endeavors after jacksonville i don't really care about where it is i just want to beat the piss out of atkins that's all i care about i have no i have no qualms with him whatsoever we were just talking on the phone yesterday he beat me in the spartan games fair and square now i want to beat him somewhere else him coming to high rocks is still like 
my category more than his. Me going to Spartan race is still more his category more than mine. So I think it's fair. He's coming to my playground, so I'll just show up and I'll race him in his playground the next week. Who gives a shit? I just want to duke it out. Like, I don't care if I, it's just like when I showed up at Spartan race world championships in 2018, I just wanted to beat Hobie and I showed up, I took fifth because of it, it was nice. Um, but which is my best showing in Tahoe ever. Uh, I, I just went and raced him and I didn't care who took the cash. Like, I don't even care who takes the cash in Jacksonville. Like I'm not going to do a backflip for what, earning $3,000, but I will do a backflip because I beat Atkins. How do you argue with that? Does it end in Jacksonville for you then? Is it just like, is this like get to Jacksonville and we'll see what happens? I'm very curious what your thought process is. You said something in an interview at the end of Spartan Games saying like, you've been in a sterile gym environment and training and you got out in the mountains with like the fresh air and you were like, shit, I kind of missed this, right? I do miss it a lot. I just don't know what to do, man. There's so many things to do right now. And also with the circumstances that our world's under with COVID, it's like, you can't tell what's going to happen is the actual series, like having a race in Florida or Texas, I'm confident in having a race in California, which is a totally different structure of a state, not confident in. And the next race is in California. So I'm not going to put my bottom dollar down on it. Um, I'm at the point now where I'm talking with Kempson again, we're like, I'm about to buy my own land and just start hosting events there. I don't care. Like, I'm not going to wait for people to put events together so that I can show up. Like I will just go out to Colorado buy a big ranch with like 30, 40 anchors and just start hosting things. Because if I have to wait for a whole year to compete or watch other people compete, um, it's just a waste of time. Like I don't want to lose my 30s. I'm, I'm fit right now. So whatever shows up, I'm, I'm ready to show up for. Would your stone cold friend host out on his ranch some races? Uh, his ranch is like in the middle of nowhere, Nevada. I don't know if anybody wants to go there. Isn't that where the Spartan race is? <laughs> no, 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 no. This like is, this is where, which one? Well, not, the, not near anything. Sure. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Um, I didn't really but think about that. that. You're going to have your own version of the stone cold Steve Austin ranch. I thought about it, man. I mean, this is, this is not a hundred percent by any means. I just thought about it because I was like, I put on OCR stars and a thousand people showed up. I can put on something else. And even if I take like 50% of that and we make our money back, at least we're doing stuff. Yeah. Like I'm not going to sit around for a whole nother year and just do nothing. And I can't even tell what the state of mind of, of like what our circumstances are nowadays. It's just like so ridiculous. Like one day it's like, Hey, things are getting a lot better. Next day there's like, we're on code purple right now. Everybody's dying. I'm like, what the fuck happened? Like we thought we were good. <laughs> so I don't know, man. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm picking these two races. I'm going to run as hard as I can. And then I'm going to kind of sh just make the call of what's next. If everything goes according to plan and it's really fun, I'll, I'll keep on going. Otherwise I'll just try something else. You talking about Atkins and talking about yourself a little bit. I feel like you two highlight the two ends of how to approach being a pro athlete where Atkins doesn't change his life too much, no matter what he's doing. He runs and skis and rock climbs, big volume. He hits his intensity days. He does tactical strength work, but whether he's doing Spartan games or high rocks, he adds in little pieces, but he never changes his overall scope where you just reinvent your body for whatever event you're doing. Yeah. And so his, his is freakish in the ability to adapt his body to what he does. And yours is freakish in the ability to continually train differently and show up to places ready for that event. And so you just went from Spartan Games to High Rocks, and now you're coming to Jacksonville. And I've always been a bit curious. 
how you do so well at taking your global fitness and crash course getting ready for one specific style that may not have any correlation to the style you were doing prior. Like you go from no running to running very fast in a matter of weeks or months. And I don't know many people who can do that. I kind of got running in my back pocket um, just because I've done it so much. Um, I think also the other thing is just, it's just like focus and it's just focus, diligence and not missing out on, on opportunities. Like I, I myself will go to the very best coaches in the world when I want to go do something. I will spend thousands upon thousands of dollars every single season, no matter what. I will spend about on books and educational platforms, several thousand dollars. On coaches, probably anywhere from five to $15,000. Like I just, I go all in. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. I think so many people they're like, well, I really want to do well in something. So I'm going to go do a spin class. And then my friend like is like doing this like cool boot camp, And then like, I think I might rock climb later. I'm like, well, none of that fucking makes sense. And I know it was a lot of fun. And then they show up and they do this race. They're like, gosh, I can't understand why I failed every obstacle. And I'm so tired. I'm like you didn't train at all. And then like the people who were at the Spartan games, like they were really good at what they did, but they weren't really good at everything. And I think it's cool to be really good at something, but like to just leave yourself in this little cave of, of no knowledge of all the other aspects of life and training that you have is, is silly. I mean, it does create the very, very best athletes in the world. But for me, I will never hide from, I will like leave no stone unturned. And like immediately when I decided that I was going to come back and I was going to start racing, I contacted Rich and I started working with Rich and Rich, I would say is my best weapon when it comes to running. Like I can always run, but I can already tell you, like I've done two sessions in the past month with Rich and I just set a PR going down my mountain. Like I just fly. He puts me on the treadmill at anywhere from 10 and a half to like 13 and a half miles an hour for like three minute long intervals. And it sucks. Like the whole time you feel like every fiber of your brains are going to explode and every fiber of your muscles and your legs are going to explode because he's cueing you the whole time. He's like, Knees, hips forward. He's like, float, float, float. Your feet, you're off your metronome. Go, go, go. And you're breathing and your heart rate, you can just feel it's like boom, boom, boom. And it's like, holy crap. And like it just is, it's through the roof. And as soon as I get done with training with him, I contact, uh, like I was just on the phone with Invictus and I just, this morning, and that's one of the best CrossFit gyms in the world. I was like, please let me know if you guys have an athlete camp soon. I would love to come down and come work with you guys. And I'm sitting next to a CrossFit Games champion and they're doing wall balls and snatches and everything. I'm, I'm just putting myself next to the hottest part of the, you know, d- direct sunlight, if you know what I mean. And I think that's it. I, I think my body type, at least, like I can't say this for someone like John Albin or, or VJ, like you can tell that their body types are pretty specific for running. I don't think that those guys are going to be able to uh, leapfrog as easily as possible, but they're, they're so specific in their design that they, they probably have better capabilities of chasing speed or endurance running than I do. So when you, when you get an idea, like you just went through this whole Spartan games, high rocks, high rocks, Jacksonville is the first thing, like first thought process is like, I need to find the experts and I need to put myself in the best hands possible. Is that like step one or is there like another first step that I'm missing? Well, okay. So it, I recognize, I knew going into uh, the Spartan games what I was set up with. I was like, Hunter, you're 212 pounds. 
and 210, 212 pounds, and you're not running that much. Like you can run, like on flat, I can run really fast. But as soon as like a pitch adds up, all of a sudden, all of that weight, it just is like, I don't know. It's like when you hold a stick right here and then all of a sudden you keep on lengthening out, lengthening out, the farther it is away from you, the heavier it is to hold up. That's what like having too much body weight is in hill running. Oh, it yeah. just intensifies. I knew what I was going in with and then I competed and I could just feel myself. Like I immediately knew that when I went through the Spartan uh, cross thing, I was like, sure, I can hold a high heart rate and probably transition and Bennett better than anybody here. But Atkins is a faster runner and he is a better obstacle guy. If you watch the video closely, he just flies through obstacles and I'm kind of like dangling. But just because I have grip strength and I'm fit, I made it through. Um, so I immediately went home and I built myself obstacles. That's what I did again. I was like, Hunter, like you can't be a fat, fat pig hanging from a rope. Like you need to be like a monkey. Like, you know, you need to hang more. You need to transition more. You need to practice. I knew that I was slower. Like if you watch any of the running events, like especially when it showed up, like in that, that hill climb, like it, the hill climb had nothing to do with the 20 pound weight. It had everything to do with your capability of traveling vertically. Like the, the, the weight vest was kind of like a, a false flag. Like everyone's like, Oh my God, 20 pounds. It's like, no one thought about how it was just one mile of vertical travel. Um, so I was like, immediately I was like, okay, you need to start running. You need to get with rich so you can increase your speed. You need to start doing 60 minutes every single morning before you do anything else on an empty stomach, get lighter, um, lose the weight, travel vertically. I need you to do a minimum of 5,000 feet a week for the first two weeks. Then I need to bump you up to seven. Then I need to bump you up to maybe eight the last week before you go race. Um, that's the fastest way to get the weight off. And it's the fastest way to just get your body used to intensity without having to like go to the track. Um, and those are like the two things I knew I needed to work on. And as far as high rocks went, like I, I went through and I traveled through the whole entire system. In my head, I, I talked about it with rich. I was like, what's the worst thing I was at the whole thing running. So I need to work on running. The only other thing that I could probably work on is just a little bit of control. I'm going to change my leg power to Zerker squats because that's more, um, sports reliant on what we're doing. I'm going to change uh, my form on my on my farmer's carries, and I'm just going to practice doing 100 wall balls after every single workout just to cash out, just to practice just getting it done. And those are the three factors there that I witnessed. Everything else, I was an ace. So I write it down. Like if you look, I'll turn this around. Like almost everything, everything that I do right now that is a big factor in my life, I put it up on my wall in a note. So hold hold I, on, I want to stop you right there, actually. You have three sticky notes on your wall. That's it. Yeah, what do, they, what do those sticky notes say? One says details win races instead of biceps win races because I feel that I lost uh, high rocks because I just didn't prepare. Not high rocks. I lost Spartan games because I didn't prepare myself. Like I should have known. First thing I noticed is I should have known my bike. I should have known my bike. That's my bike that I ride all the time. I should have changed out the tires. I should have had tubes ready. I sent that bike into a store to have them change out my tubes because they were both flat and have them break it down and ship it over. They didn't fucking check the tires for the for um, for what's flattened the tires at all. When I got the pop tire, I pulled out a thorn that was a California thorn. It was not a thorn that you get from the East Coast, and I fucking knew it, and I wanted to kill the fucking big kid who boxed my bike, but that's my own fault. He didn't know that. He didn't know I was going to race. I should have known that. If you looked at everybody, if you watch the Spartan games, if you watch the wetsuits, do you notice I'm the only person who does not have a full body wetsuit out of everybody? 
Mm-hmm. Everybody's fucking wetsuits came in the mail except for mine. I should not have fucking depended on Spartan Race to ship out wetsuits for me. I showed up with a summer suit, which was a less than a two mil wetsuit when everybody had three to five mil wetsuits, and I fucking nearly drowned out there. Is it anybody else's fault but mine? No. Should I have known the obstacles and practice obstacles more because I knew that I was going to go there? Yes. So I wrote on the wall details when races. Like, that's it. I should have known every fucking detail of a competition that I was going towards. And I fucking, I showed up basically with my shoes untied and my pants down around my ankles and ran a race. It was stupid. Um, uh, I wrote Ryan Atkins made you look stupid. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a note that I put up there. It's like, I should have, I in my own heart believe that I'm, I'm in best shape of the athletes that I'm competing against right now. And I should be winning the competitions I compete against. It's not that they're not amazing people. I just allowed somebody else to make me look stupid. I was like, once again, I got caught with my pants down around my ankles. Congratulations, Ryan. I think you deserve every point that you got in that competition. Awesome stuff. And then last but not least, I just said, own everything that you do. Um, From this point on, if I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to represent a company, I'm going to own the company. Um, If I'm going to run a race, I'm basically going to own the race, whether that means like, you know, physically or metaphorically, like, you know, if I show up to race, I'm going to own it beforehand, not like during it. And um, those are my notes. That's a crash course in mental warfare. I love it. Yeah. And I sit here at this desk every day, fucking brewing, ready to kill. I I am, I am primed. (laughs) I have a question about the binoculars that are sitting on your bed over there, Hunter. I noticed those in the background. Now, what do you got 12 zoom binoculars sitting on your bed for? What are you creeping on? I'm a world-class pervert. Well, I live on top of a mountain and um, this one's my favorite one. I just got a scope on people, see if I can catch some nudies. Um, but no, I, I live up on top of a mountain and I love the idea of just kind of like peering out onto the world. So I got this one in Hamburg and the other one I got for Christmas last year. And, uh, you know, it's pretty fun. I was just making sure I was curious. I'm not a pervert. I wish I was. It'd be a lot more fun. Says the guy who in the morning, every, I've only stayed with you once, but every morning you took all your clothes off, walked out on your back porch, just completely butt ass naked, stood there with your hands on your hips and just soaked in the sun. You have to admit if you had that opportunity, would you not do it? Yeah. I live in a townhome community. I'd go to jail if I did that. You should still do it. You should still do it. Yeah. There's some, there's a, there's some freedoms that I'm afforded by living in the mountains that make me, um, I just take, I, I take advantage of it every day. You should. Yeah. Hunter, that was a good answer. And yet there's one piece of that I still want to hear more about. And that is when you spend a lot of time bulking and working on strength or working on high rocks or whatever, and now you have a Jacksonville in your future, you still show up fast. And I'm curious what your abbreviated process looks like. What do you, cause you can't do it all. You're in the same boat Kirk and I are in right now where you talked to me into the race. So I talked to Kirk into the race and we're all doing this race with not the buildup we would want. So what do you prioritize? What is your go-to that just gets you race ready? Um, I would say speed is a skill. That's probably the most important thing. For something like Jacksonville, I'll just give you like very correlated answers. Speed is a skill. So like negative split runs is like one of my favorite things to do. Like true negative split runs. Like you have to keep on increasing the pace. And if you break down, then you should stop or hold there. Um, I think a lot of people like go to the track and they're like 400s. When like in reality, they're 400s. Like, I don't know if you watch Mike Miragula do his deadlift and the four, five minute mile all in the same five minutes, mm-hmm. but like his times were like 64, 68, 78, 72. 
no offense to him, that is a not a good run. That's like a that's like shooting with a shotgun with your eyes closed kind of thing. Like hopefully we hit this thing. What what, what did he do? I didn't see this. He deadlifted 500 pounds, dropped the bar, and immediately finished a mile in under five minutes. That's impressive. It was really cool. I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm proud of him. I wrote him a message immediately. I'm like, that's freaking awesome, dude. But it's all over the place. It's like, pew, 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 with a run. Like, he's lucky he got it done. Um, you can't do that, especially the further you go over time. Like, you know those dudes in, like, the man thongs that used to start out in Spartan Race? They're like, three-minute mile. Like, a minute or two later, 10-minute mile for the rest of the race. And then they like get off like the last like quarter mile, they run like a five minute mile. They're like, yes. But they finish 15 minutes behind us in a sprint, maybe even 30 minutes behind us in a sprint. So number one is speed is a skill. I work negative split runs or I just work with Rich on, like if you don't have Rich, like just get on a metronome and get on a treadmill and just keep on holding it and keep on running on a treadmill if possible and keep on working on your knee drive. And like, I'm trying to land on the treadmill like a native American would walk through the woods hunting a deer. Like you don't want to hear one leaf crack or crunch. Like my feet are just like, when I start this, it's like, just like slamming on the treadmill. I work those things. And then I just work my numbers, dude. Like I know Hunter McIntyre at 50 to 70 miles a week with one or two bike rides is a fucking beast. So I hit my numbers and I go and I, I get rid of things that are not important to me. Like you're not going to see me lifting 20 to 30,000 pounds of volume per session anymore. It's going to drop down to like 10,000 or less and it's going to be fun. It's going to be calisthenic based. It's going to be a lot of wad based. I'll probably have like two heavy bars, but it won't even add up to maybe 5,000 pounds per session. Um, I know this is a lot of numbers, but no, it makes sense. That's the truth. What do you say to like, we asked Atkins about like, how'd you get so ready for Jacksonville last minute? And he's like, I did quarter mile repeats on the treadmill. And thousands at, at three minute per kilometer. I thought if I could hold that, then I'm ready. How do you feel about that? It's true. I mean, but that's, that's part of the 10,000 hour rule. I've been away from the sport much longer than he has been currently active in the sport. Like for him, those obstacles he could do with his eyes closed or one hand tied behind his back. Like he is so proficient. So for him, he probably needs to work on his running and his spear. For me, I need to work on my running and my obstacles and almost everything. Um, so he's in, he's in a much better place than I'm in. I mean, I talk to him right now and he's still doing those efforts. Um, he probably has to put less work in than I do to be where he needs to be. Like he's the, he's, he's the guy to chase. If you beat Atkins, then you won the race basically. And maybe there'd be one person ahead of you, but you basically already won the race. Mm-hmm. Same thing when I used to race, when I used to compete against Hobie, it was like, I didn't care about anything else. It didn't matter the distance, anything. I was like, I'm only showing up to beat Hobie. It took me like two years to do it. Hopefully it's less this time. When, when you talk about your cut downs, sorry, Bracken, but when you talk about your cut downs, so like a little more specific, are you talking like, I'm going to start at seven minute pace and then go to 645 and then 630 and I'm going to keep increasing until I'm going to blow up. Is that what you're talking? Or are you talking something shorter, like two miles, but descending quarters in that two miles. What are you talking about there? Probably the most effective run that you could do uh, is like a 30 minute one and then a 30 minute one. And I'm like every minute on the minute, I'm just going up a little bit. So it's progressive. I can very concise. So like, let's say I started at eight minute mile uh, and just like really warm up for the first five minutes. Now I'm all of a sudden I'm at like seven and a half miles an hour. Now I'm at eight miles an hour the next minute. Now I'm at eight 
nine miles an hour the next minute. And now I'm just going to start going like 9.1, 9.2, 9.3, 9.4. And then the last five minutes, I want to be at the fastest mile that I could possibly hold without completely breaking down. That's usually five minutes like on the treadmill. If I'm, if I'm ballsy, I put up the percentage a little bit. Um, or like I go out here and I run an hour from my house. It's about eight miles. I'll just go out slow. And then on the way back, I'll probably be anywhere from like a 450 to a 515 for the pat, like the last five, six minutes. Sounds familiar, Bracken, doesn't it? Yeah. Do, do you keep interval work in there? Or is that only when you go to Rich? Only when I go to Rich. I just think the interval work, um, it's not like none of us are fast enough to really need interval work as much as we do. I, I think it's like, it's a tip of the spear. It's a confidence builder. I think it's fun, but I realize that for us, it's so much more important to have pacing than speed. Like speed is a skill. Like you, ha- you can't, you can't be there if you don't have the speed, but pacing is more important for what we do because it's like all over the place with what we do. So that's why I'm such a diehard about those things. Um, I do think that like, I, I've told you this before, like I like to go in and do those track things just to like get myself ready. But Specifically for right now, at least this time of the year, it's more tempos and negative splits. Mm-hmm. If, if you get me towards like Tahoe or or um, like, you know, whatever, San Luis Obispo, I'll be doing like a different version of intervals. Like I'll go slow. I'll, I'll climb up the hill moderately fast and then I'll come down the hill as fast as I possibly can and rest for two minutes at the bottom. It's just like a different kind of interval. Yeah, I like that. Uh, something that jumped out at me from the beginning of racing – is that you hold, I mean, we talked about the term compromise running a lot and you hold your, a percentage of your flat ground running pace through nasty terrain or after carries or after climbs, you don't break down too badly. Your, your pace doesn't deteriorate the way a lot of people theirs does. And you proved it again in Spartan cross where you haven't been doing any of this stuff and you raced Newell, Kent, a bunch of good OCR guys, and you're still drop dropping them in the race. Where where are you getting that transition ability and your ability to run through fatigue from these days? Or is it lifelong skill built up? Uh, it's probably lifelong skill built up. And also just like the idea that I've trained it so much that my muscle groups um, probably are just better at handling fatigue and switching. Like, like an easy workout to tell you about is Helen. You do a 400 meter run, 21 kettlebell swings, 12 pull-ups, three rounds. A novice will come in and then like shake out their hands and like pick up the kettlebell and be like, and then like break down and like shake out their hands and be like sitting there and maybe go up and do six pull-ups and then drop and then do another six pull-ups. Like I know exactly how much time I need in between without even questioning it. Um, I will never fail an obstacle and I, I've never failed an obstacle. Uh, like, and that's because of those things. I just done it so much. And I, I do about four of those workouts a week. Whereas you guys like typically don't. So like today, um, like a couple days ago is a better way because it's a better workout. Um, I went through, I did banded bench um, because I'm getting ready for Murph too. Then I just did a ton of shoulder press, a ton of like really high rep triceps. And that was done. That My strength section is now done. Then I went into a five rounds of uh, 20 push up, 20 uh, DHD sit up, and then 20 calorie bike. And I knew without question like how soon to start every single one of those things without breaking. Like I really think that going unbroken into some of these bigger, chunkier sets is a really good teacher um, for un- for novice athletes. And don't set the bar too high because if you fail, then you're going to get discouraged. But like I know that I'm not in shape right now to do 
30 push-ups in a row all the way through that workout. I'm just not right now. I haven't been training push-ups, but before I go set the Murph record again, I'll be trying to get like 40 push-ups in a row during that workout. But I'm not going to start at 40 and just break a bunch of times because it's not beneficial. I'm not teaching myself anything. I'm just flogging myself because I want to be somewhere that I'm not. Hopefully that makes sense. So you keep a decent amount of running or cardio-based Metcons or wads in your life, and that's that carries over a ton to your compromised ability. Oh yeah, like it's my goal to basically be after doing all this strength. Like typically, if you do periodization, you want to go up. Let's say you're at 100, percent you want to go up to maybe 110, 120 percent strength, and then lose 10 percent, maybe by the very end of the season. So now we're still at 110 percent. Um, you don't want to break down and get like super weak. So I got as strong as possible. And now let's say my bench is 315. If I lose 10% by the end of the season, I'm still at 295, you know, 295, 285, and nobody else is pushing that. And I'm still running a 430 mile. It's like, oh, so sacrifice things during the times that you don't need them to focus on something. And then later on, like, you know, work on that later, but don't try to be everything all at once. But those little workouts um, always keep those 95% or like, you know, keeping as close to your 100% as possible, po- like, you know, it gives you that possibility without doing tons of extremely weight based volume. And um, so I include a little bit of strength, I include a little bit of skill, I include a little bit of calisthenics and the cardio. And that's the formula. I'm just thinking about your week though. Like, let's say you do three or four Metcons a week because your heart rate's getting pretty high during those, I imagine. Plus you're doing an interval session with Rich. Plus you're doing some sort of cut down or threshold effort. Like that's a lot of high intensity stuff in a week, don't you think? No. Okay, so I'll tell you just like random things. Yeah, explain it. Um, so like running today, I started out and I was breathing through my nose the majority of the way down the mountain so that I didn't get too accelerated. So that's just a hold back right there. Um, and then I was hiking on sections that I knew that were going to, I started hiking early when I started to hit the Hills, um, to keep my intensity back. Um, so like I hold back there, I wear a heart rate monitor during a lot of my wads, which is right here, hanging up on the wall, stinking like crap. Um, and if I break over 145 beats per minute and my max heart rate's 180, 185, I stop and I wait until my heart rate gets back down or like I'll do my lifting sessions and some of my wads with this mouthpiece in, I don't trying to understand the science behind this. They sent me it and supposedly this is not a paid for ad. I'm just telling you the truth. Um, they supposedly this keeps your cortisol down and blah, 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 but you can, you can only breathe through your mouth like this. You have to keep inviting and it's a limited breathing thing. So I do things like that to keep my intensity down. Otherwise I allow myself to get super revved up. And also another thing that I do, um, I try not to work out with other people very often. Because like everybody's going to put their balls on the table. They're like, oh, we're going to do back squats. Well, I'm going to put on another plate and then another plate. And then everybody's broken afterwards. And then my friends, they screw off and go to their desk jobs and don't do anything for the rest of the week. And I'm recovering for five days from a max back squat that was not supposed to happen. Or a wad that completely waxed so hard that I, I, can't, I can't run the next day, can't bike the next day. So you really will do like a Helen or a, a, a wad like that? And stay submaximal throughout that throughout the week. Yeah, if you guys want to know my training, I'll just tell you what my training is for the week. But so, I mean, we had talked about this once. You said you do a lot of eighty percent wads. That you're not exaggerating. You you don't need to go to the well on those. Not at all. So I'll tell you exactly what this week is. Sixty minute mountain run was. Uh, whoops, sorry. Monday, 
I did the intervals with Rich. I told you guys about that. Then I did. And what uh, was that session? That session was four times three minute. I designed it differently so that people could have a better understanding. But we did six times three minute, and then two times two times one minute. Uh, I programmed it a little bit differently because I don't think people will be able to handle that. She did six by thousand essentially. Yeah. Uh, lower body session is five sets of one clean pull, one squat clean, one front squat. Then three times twenty meter lunge, add weight each round. Uh, four times twenty meter sled push, add weight each round. Um, then the wall. Uh, then the workout was. This is where I would like stop and I would just walk around between the workout because I didn't want to push too hard because it was very hard. Thirty wall balls, thirty calorie bike, forty wall balls, thirty uh, thirty calorie row, fifty wall balls, thirty calorie ski. And I would basically like try to recover as much as possible um, and like chill out between sets. Cause I, it, that, that's the kind of workout that will get you to 175 beats per minute. Um, Tuesday, it's another run. Uh, I told you about yesterday's um, strength with the, the workouts, the push endurance. Yesterday was a two hour bike ride. Have fun. I just went out for my, with my buddy. We talked the whole time. Uh, today was supposed to be a 75 minute um, run, but uh, I had a phone call at nine. So I only ended up getting 60 in. And then I'll just run 15 minutes before um, my workout session. Uh, this afternoon, I'm doing four times eight deadlift from the pins, so it's it's less range of motion, less of um less of a breakup in your muscle tissue. And uh, then I'm going to do reverse sled drags four times 30, go heavy. Then 100 four times 100 foot uh, front load carry. That's strongman work. And then this afternoon, I'm doing power cleans and then uh, IWTs. This is a really good thing for high rocks. Um, this is where I add an intensity. Uh, this one right here is going to be five power cleans at 70% and then two minute, basically 80, 80 to 90% um, row intensity. Uh, that's an intense session. Tomorrow is a bike, a bunch of calisthenics. It's intensity of seven and Saturday is uh, in and outs where it's a 70% mile, then an 80% mile back and forth, back and forth. Mm, who wrote that for you yourself? Or is that prescribed? That's, that's all me. So you have a good mix in there and you are staying sub-maximal on a lot of work, hitting maximal where needed and getting pointed run work. Totally. So I think I'll just add up the math right now for you guys running wise. Um, let's say this, this 12 mile session is going to be 90 minutes. Um, biking is 90 minutes. So we're at three hours. Um, we're at four hours and 15 minutes with that run. We're at six hours and 15 minutes with that bike. Then we're at seven hours and 15 minutes with that run. Then we're at eight hours and 15 minutes of cardio this week. And that doesn't include any of the strength and endurance. So if each strength session is about an hour and each workout is about 15 to 30 minutes, we're at 12 hours. And then we're probably about like 14 hours total. Science. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I'm more of a 70, 30 intensity guy. I think a lot of people like to do 80, 20, 90, 10. The more volume you do, the less intensity you can hold. The more endurance you do, the better you recover from your intense sessions. But I've also found out, like I've gone up to that 25 hours a week um, in intensity when I was training with Yatskow and everybody up in Durango. And I was phenomenally fit for climbing up mountains. But I basically had the horsepower of like a bass boat, like just like that little thing you stick in the water that is electric that the fish can't hear. <laughs> a trolling motor. Yeah, I had nothing. I had nothing behind me. And I think that the sports that you're trying to be good at require more than ten or twenty percent intensity. Yeah, yeah. So the high rocks thing, um, like that, is a sport that seventy thirty exists very well on. 
And I'm, I'm hoping that this kind of uh, training modality and periodization that I'm doing is going to allow me to win the High Rocks World Championship again this year and win the Spartan Race World Championship in Dubai this year. That's Those are my two A races. Wow. Did, he, did he just say that? That's a big statement. I like it. Oh, dude, if it's in Dubai, I'm going to destroy people. I have not a doubt in my mind. Like if you keep the mountains out of the question and you put me on flat terrain, um, I'll just cook people alive. And it's not going to be that flat. They'll be flat and they have some some ridges and such. Sure, 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 sure. But I think there's a huge difference in a race that includes 2,000 feet of, uh, of elevation to four to 6,000. And we've already been up to five. To, I think we had 7,000 one year. And it's just like, yeah. I don't consider that to be a Spartan race. No offense to the designers of the course, but I don't know. It's just like a totally different thing. And I, I've, I've hated that our, our sports completely been held at the whim of just mountains. I would like to see some other stuff. And fortunately, I never got to go do OCRWC because I was doing CrossFit while they were over in London, which is flat and 100 obstacles. But that's like close to Spartan Cross, which I would have enjoyed. Is your, is your CrossFit thirst quenched? I would certainly love to do more CrossFit, but at the same time, I just don't, I don't really trust what's going on with everything. And I don't want to put all of my efforts towards something that's like on the rebuild. Because like, I only have probably about four more years of competing in me. Not that I think my body's going to be broken. I would just prefer to be a businessman and have a family by then. And if all of a sudden I take another year or two to be in peak shape for CrossFit and they just fired their CEO, hired a new CEO, lost probably 20 to 30% of their affiliates or probably trying to struggle. They lost some of their most major sponsors. I'm like, this thing's having a rebirth and I hope they have a great rebirth but I'm not putting my career uh, at the whim of something that's like so up down here and there. That's why I can't even say the Spartan race thing. Spartan race is one of those kind of companies that's just like here, there, everywhere. High rocks though. I've worked with the ins and outs of that company and their staff are as excellent as it gets. They're partnered with a company like Iron Man. Like they have all of the resources to be something amazing. And I can put my name behind that. So you're pivoting though. Like this is a, this is definitely a pivot in your career. Like you've, I don't know, you've discovered what you want to there and now you're confident to kind of go back to your roots. I'm going to go back to my roots. I would love to do something this summer, like the Dubai fitness games or something like that. If it's a possibility where they're like more than 50% endurance and see if I can get, I, I don't think I can earn a spot in there um, just with the way that they're designed. But if they gave me a wild card, I would love to go in and just dominate some things. I think sports are opening their mind to having wild cards invited now, and I think that's cool. I have another curiosity for you real quick since we're on this, like, CrossFit to OCR transition. I, I went through, like, a bulking phase, we'll call it, you know, put on a little muscle, did the five-by-fives, got strong on my squats, my deads, my bench, all that stuff that translates somewhat later in the season once you back off. But I like how I look and feel when I'm heavier, right? When I, like, like as a human going through life. And I know you've gone through that transition, like I'm big and jacked and swall daddy hunter. And then you got to like puny up a little bit for yourself. And I'm trying to do that right now with the race season on the horizon. And I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. How do you deal with that? I will just tell you from a healthy ego thing that it's, it's, it's very challenging. It it's is. Very, it's very challenging. I'll tell you, I've lived in Malibu now for 10 years. And when I was in my peak form for, for Spartan races and just going around and winning shit all the time. People looked at me, they're like, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a professional athlete. They're like, like you run and stuff? And I was like, yeah, I'm like really good at it. They're like, oh, cool. Well, that's cool. 
Like when I was training for CrossFit and I was in peak shape and I would like take my shirt off around people, they're like, dude, you are a fucking beast. Like, oh my gosh, you're crazy. Like, look at your, like your chest and your back, like your arms are huge, dude. And I would go into the gym and people were like, damn, like the trainers there were always like, damn. And I was getting so much respect. Um, and like, luckily I've kind of like allowed myself, I've done a lot of research and read a lot of ego books as of recent. And I've been able to allow myself to take away, um, without being like too much of a sissy hippie. Like I've allowed myself to identify with thoughts and where I'm at in my life and be confident about what I have rather than what I want. Like if you go into my gym, dude, there's, there's world title medals all over the place. There's a Jersey from the CrossFit games, TMX. Um, uh, there's also a, you know, a check from being on the podium, Spartan race world championships. There's no other athlete in the world that can show that kind of stuff in their house. Um, and I just, you have to rely on those kind of things as your, as like your ego and not allow the way you fill out a t-shirt to be your ego. It's tough. And women have the exact opposite problem. Why? Because they want to be more feminine or they want to be more skinny. We're not considered as manly if you're a skinny endurance runner, but a big beefy CrossFit guy who will have a heart attack if he goes up 10 flights of stairs is considered the like epitome of masculinity. Whereas on the women's side, it's the opposite. It's, I don't want to see traps. <laughs> I want to see ribs. It, I mean, it's just the, it's the opposite side of the mm -hmm. coin. So what do you yeah. do then? Kirk, Kirk's in this phase where he wants to look a way that his body doesn't want to race. Also say something that I said to a bunch of people, there's nothing sexier than a champion. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no set of biceps, pecs, abs, legs that is more sexy than being a champion. There's just nothing like it. Um, when you're the best in the world or best at whatever you do, um, it, it's like you're wearing a cape and crown without, any, without even having to put it on. Um, there's just like an aura of, of confidence that pours out of you. And, uh, like you just got to believe in that stuff. Um, I would watch Hobie walk around venues and he is not a cocky person at all, but I would just see this aura around him and this smile when he would show up at the starting line where I was just like, fuck, this guy already knows he has it won. Yeah. And, uh, there's something special about that. Well, I just, I ask you because like you are the epitome self-proclaimed bulk pony and like you're doing the exact opposite of that right now. And so I just feel like as part of the, the hunter aura, like that's got to be tough to, to just be like, crap, like I know what I got to do and I would prefer not to, you know, do it, but it's what's required to be a champion. That's yeah. just, it's, it's something to think about because a lot of these guys come from these skinny places and then they got to bulk up to be good at this sport or get strong. And, and I feel like I'm one of them. Bracken, you're kind of in the middle of the road, but Hunter, you're definitely the guy like you got to lose 20 pounds to compete. As a younger man, I had a lot that I was trying to work out in my own brain, but I don't know. You know, it, do you think anybody would question Michael Jordan and some of the tactics he did? Probably not. Um, if you went up to him now, you, you wouldn't make fun of somebody for being too skinny, for being the best basketball player in the world. I look at some people like Steph Curry. There's not one thing about Steph Curry's physique that I think is impressive, but he's dominant. Same with Wayne Gretzky. That's the reality of it, dude. Like, I would just rather end up on top than have a couple of pictures to show my kids that are like, well, look how big dad was, you know? <laughs> hmm? When Bracken and I were talking about what we wanted to talk to you about today, because this is like the third time you've been on our podcast, you're our only reoccurring guest times three now. Well, I think like the most important, like the most, we reference you a ton on this podcast in relation to a lot of things. Um, you're a person a lot of people look up to. And I think the one thing, like you've kind of outlined this in different ways, but it's like your process. 
like your process between not being prepared for something and being prepared for something. And I know you outlined a little bit, like you get the coaches, you read the books, all of that. Um, do you have any more to add to like your process? Like how do you go from like not ready to ready? Anything we've missed? Well, there's purpose and passion. I think people need to know what their purpose is in life. And then they have to have passion behind that purpose. Like, I think there's so many people in this world that like want to do 50 things with their day. I want to do one thing with my day. I want to do one thing. Right now, I'll admit, like I've broken my rule. I say, do one thing better than anybody else in the world, and you'll be you'll be on the right track to you know in life. Right now, I'm trying to run some businesses and stuff, but that's just because I'm trying to be able to support my lifestyle. Um, don't really have a lot of sponsors to back me, uh, but truthfully, it's because I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is I get on the scale and I make sure I'm going the right direction with my weight. And the next thing I do is I go and eat my food and then I measure it because it's exactly. It's putting me in the right direction of what I want to weigh. And then I go start the day and I run the run that I want to do because that's going to put me in the right way where most people probably do about five other things that get in the way of that happening. Like I know so many people where I'm like, hey, like you should be working out. They're like, dude, you know, it's, I'm so busy. Um, the kids, like one of my closest friends yesterday, I called him. I was like, hey man, uh, let's go for a bike ride. It was just yesterday. So I called him on Monday or Tuesday and I was like, let's go for a bike ride. He goes, when? I was like, 8 a.m. He's like, dude, that's so early. I got to sleep in. I was like, dude, you don't even have a fucking job. Like, what are you sleeping in on? And I got upset. I got really upset. And I'm the kind of person that's so intense that there's not one thing in the world. You could not list an hour in the day that would get me in the way. Like if you said, hey, Hunter, let's go start biking at 3 a.m. because that's the time that I got. I'd probably wake up and meet you on the bike. If it was something that I cared about. And I'm just probably the only person you guys know. Maybe there's a few um, that directs their life that way. That's exactly it. If you care more than anybody else, then you're probably going to perform better than anybody else. There's always out things in the way that potentially you don't have the genetics or capabilities of doing anything that you want to do, but at least if you care enough, you'll get close, closer to your goal than not. And my entire room is peppered with, with post-it notes and po and boards like boards on my wall with pictures of the competitors that I'm going to do. When I'm doing sets, I'm screaming the names of the competitors that I'm competing against. When I tie my shoes, I tie it exactly the way I would do before my race because I don't want to get confused. Like everything in the day is stacked up that way. And it's insane. I will say it probably gets in the way of some of my friendships, my relationships with my girlfriends, um, my, my family relationships because I'm too extreme. But um, I'm happy and I love it and I'm going to win. And that's what matters. Do you have a do you have a healthy relationship with the scale? When I was modeling, I used to not take my t-shirt off until like it was just abs. All, there was like a vein that could travel from my big toe all the way to my forehead. Now I'm a lot healthier about it. Um, I don't really care. Like obviously I want to be as lean as possible and look as good as possible, but I don't abuse myself. Like I track my calories so exactly. I'm not going to all of a sudden shave off 500 calories a day just to get to my goals faster because I think it will actually inhibit the goals that I'm trying to reach. So it's not a messed up thing. Mm. Yeah. I'm healthy. We did our, on our last podcast, we talked about Jacksonville and going to Jacksonville and like you and Bracken had a conversation, I believe. And you basically told him to suck it up. Yeah. Who gives a shit and get yourself ready. Is that right? Basically. Like how did that conversation go? Well, I could read the texts 
And uh, but basically, a close friend of mine called me and, and was trying to explain what his plan was for the year. And I just thought to myself, I said, "Why would you want to miss out on the opportunity that you're probably going to think about for the rest of your life? You're going to miss these days. And there's no perfect opportunity, especially the first race of the year. No one shows up in perfect shape, and it's okay to start out." behind where you want to be because that that right there is the greatest indicator it's the biggest lesson of the year is because right then and there you get to put yourself right next to the fire you get to feel how hot it is and then you get to go home and you get to take that information back and then you get to work you get to go to work that's that's basically like the first day of freaking school and the first day of school is hard you look around there's all these new kids there's maybe a hot chick in the corner there's a bully over here the professor has got some information that you're scared of but then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of those days in, all the nerves go away. But the first one's the hardest one. And I, I just want uh, that friend of mine to be able to go out there and just embrace that burn, embrace that suck, and then be able to develop the champion that he wants to be when the time comes. And that time's never going to be right. It's just going to have to be, um, it's just going to have to be trial by fire. Is that accurate? That was the takeaway. It was that. I've got lulled into this sense of a comeback, a build. I need to, I missed seven months of running. I had two surgeries. I need to rebuild. I need to do everything properly so I can get back to what I used to be and then better. And I got lulled into that, that seductive nature of the build. And Hunter's reality was that it's never going to be perfect. You're never going to say, you know what? I've arrived. I'm now the best I've ever been. And I'm so prepared. And there's this perfect race sitting right now at the peak of my build. And so now I just get to float in there and, and ride off into the sunset. Like that doesn't occur. He's right. It's never the perfect time. It's the perfect time when you can react to an opportunity that is in front of yourself. That's the perfect time is when you have fitness around that you can use when something presents itself. Not when you build everything perfectly and they create an event for you on that date. Yeah. I thought I was doing it for the right reasons. And I think I was initially. And then he named some other names of people who have been saying this for years and never, ever arrive. And I realized, man, when's the last time I won a race? When is it? 2016? 2018? 2018? 2017 is the last time I won a race. 2018 is the last time I made a podium. I haven't won a race in two and a half years. I haven't made a podium in almost two years. Like at some point, your days are gone and you're sitting there planning for something that never comes back. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Lance Armstrong had bank, brain cancer and they stole a testicle from him and then he came back and won seven Tour de France's. Mm -hmm. Just throwing that out there. Two knee surgeries, who gives a damn? They took a chunk out of his brain and one of his balls. Well, and that's the <laughs> thing, right? I think I've gotten too caught up in how much I think I've lost with seven months of no running. People no. tear ACLs. People tear labrums and they miss this amount of time and they're back to themselves afterwards. That you're right. I need to throw myself into the fire and re-embrace that mindset of anywhere, anyone, anytime, let's rumble. Rather than, oh, I need everything in a line. Yeah. Do you think the result matters, Hunter? Do you think the result of that first race back even matters? Not really, dude. If I go in and I, I come uh dead last, I would have I'd be pretty traumatized. And if if Bracken got dead last, I think he'd be traumatized, but at least you got a starting point. I think it's the greatest opportunity in the entire world. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a, my first time back in a national series event since 2017 uh, or maybe 2018. And same for you. Who gives a damn, dude? Let's go tear it up. Yeah. And you already identified my plan for the race. What's that? 
I'm going to be Ryan Atkin Shadow. That's it. No, you're Robert Killian number two. <laughs> I'm not going to look like Atkins, but I'm just going to mirror him until I blow up or win the race. And that's all there is to it. Yeah. Give me percentages. What, what's? Well, give me the percentages between blowing up and winning the race right now. Well, I'm going to blow up. It's just, do I blow up at the finish line or at the three mile mark or at the two mile mark or at the one mile mark? And I don't really care because it's about going out there with the intent of, I don't care if I blow up. That's good. Hunter, do you know that by you going to Jacksonville, you single-handedly changed the dynamic of the entire race? Do you know this? Like when people realize Hunter McIntyre is going to show up at a U.S. National Series race for the first time in three years, this changes everything for everybody. You do understand that, right? I'm here to traumatize people. <laughs> like we're going to have people caring about this race who don't give a shit normally. Everybody's going to want to see how this story plays out. You want to make a prediction right now? Mm, I'm going to be first through third, no question. <sighs> I just want first. Um, I would say Atkins is probably going to come second or third, and it's either going to be Ryan Kempson and VJ in second or third, and then either myself in first or VJ in first, if I had to guess. I don't know why I think Ryan will not do as well this time. I think Ryan maybe caught people off guard last time, and people are probably working harder. Um, but I've got hate on my side. <laughs> <laughs> What's your answer for the speedsters? Like, like on a course that they can actually maybe display it, like the Botrises, the VJs, the Woodsy. What's your answer to that? Like, what's going to make you beat these guys that have been doing this consistently? You have not. I know you put in your 10,000 hours. Uh, none of them have ever, my answer is that none of them have ever beat me before. Why would I start today? I like that answer. Who else do you want to kick their ass? Like, I know you want to beat Atkins. Who else would you really relish just making look like a fool out there? Ryan Kempson. I think Ryan Kempson a lot of the time can just be an asshole. And I've got, <laughs> I, don't, I don't hide from that at all. I think that dude, I don't think badly of him, but I just think that he plays the asshole card too often. So I'm going to stuff him. Ryan? In yeah. Wow. I've, I've, that's not the name association I ever would have guessed. I've never got that vibe. It's probably because you guys don't have uh, antagonistic, antagonistic energy against each other. Mm. I, think, I think there's certain energies that get certain people wound up. I'm not saying he's an asshole to everybody. Just our energies clash a little bit. So okay. I'm going I'm to stuff him into the mud down there. And then um, I can't wait to hang out with Woodsy. I miss him so much. Uh, there's a lot of guys I miss. Like None of the words coming out of my mouth are against seeing people. It's not like I'm showing up just upset that that person's there. I'm more excited about racing against these guys than probably anybody else in the world. I love these people, but I want to win. So I'm going to show up with some attitude and intensity, and I'll be the first person to buy you a beer when you cross the finish line behind me. What if I finish in front of you? I'll buy you a beer. Losing to me also is not the worst thing in the world. Like I don't go home and take the rope out of my backyard and tie it up around the tree. And then, you know, I do I, it's so what we've all lost before. Why is this the worst one ever? Everybody always thinks that loss, mm. the most recent loss is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And actually my most, my most recent wins are not the best thing that's ever happened to me either. I won high rock world championships. Why is it a world championships? Because they put the word world championship in front of it. People got to stop freaking, freaking out about these things. They're only significant because other people made them significant. They're only significant if you make them significant. You have that option inside of you. And I think it's important to have intensity behind it, but don't have this like complete 
brainwash mindset that you are always going to roll the dice and hit hit you know snake eyes like you're not going to win every time if you train hard you might but you're not always going to win i thought you would have said like aaron aaron newell or somebody aaron aaron and i actually squashed our beef we had a conversation where i contacted him and i was like this is gone i actually contacted atkins i was like listen dude i don't know how to approach this guy like he's not really he and i are not close you two are close ryan actually helped me out a lot i'm very thankful to ryan and then the two of them talked, and then he, Aaron, and I talked, and we just squashed it. I was like, what happened in that microscopic second of time does not need to ripple through time like a butterfly effect of shitty things that we do to each other. It's like, drop it. Let's just stop. I've got no bad words to say about him. Let him do his thing. If he beats me in a race, he won, he won that day. If I beat him in a race, I won that day. There's no point in just bashing each other on the internet. Like it's, I'm over it. I'm a racer. I'm not like my life doesn't exist with two thumbs and an iPhone. You got a lot of quotable fridge magnets today, Hunter. <laughs> yeah, thanks. You can sell them. I just want I just want a, a percentage. I will. There's a few pictures that I'll probably attach to that that magnet that I've that I have on my computer of you. Yeah, <laughs> I like the sounds of it, boys. Well, thank you for having me on, and I'm glad our connection cleaned up at the end. I have one more question, if that's okay with you. I'm around. Sweet. I see it. I see that. I, uh, I just want to know, um, cause we did dive into training a little bit and now we got Jacksonville coming up. It's just such a hot topic that it can be beaten to death and people will still listen. Right. So, um, I, I just want to know like a few in your mind, like a few key workouts, if you're willing to share that you would hit between now and then to help make sure you're ready. Are there any people love hearing this stuff? I've already said negative split runs. I think you need to be pushing you need to study what the paces are of the athletes that won the race last time. You need to find out the exact distance of the race. You need to find out what they were traveling at. And can you hold on a treadmill? Like there's this workout that I created a while ago called the OCR bar burner test. You get a treadmill, you set it at the pace that you think you're going to race at. It's 18 minute EMOM. First minute you do three bar muscle ups. You get back on the treadmill as fast as possible. Next minute when the bell rings, you do six chest to bar pull-ups. Then you get back on the treadmill as fast as possible. And then the last one, you do nine pull-ups. You get back on the treadmill. It's less technicality, but more reps over time. And you keep on repeating, repeating, repeating. Um, like something like that is super important. So I, I, I think you need to be able to hit your run and get in and out of obstacles as fast as possible. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm like just hammering it. One workout a week like that, one obstacle workout a week and one specific run a week. The rest is just whitewash. It's gold. Pure gold there. I'm freaking jazzed. I messaged you about it, but I want to say it publicly here for people to understand uh, the depth of my sincerity and how much it matters to have people like this in your life. But we preach accountability partners and hard truths and not shying away from things that are negative about ourselves. And throughout our time knowing each other, which is probably since 2013, you've been one of those few people in my life that will tell me what needs to be said, no matter what. And you're responsible for me being in Jacksonville. You're responsible for a lot of the things I do in training and a lot of the good mental sides that I have. And so thank you for that. Um, everyone needs someone in their life that will do that. And you're one of those in mine. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to shine on you sometimes. You do. Yeah. My heart is so warm. Oh, and I'm going to beat you in Jacksonville. Hey, I'm ready, dude. I'm I would be not, both. Of you. I would be. I would be happy 
to watch you guys cross the finish line ahead of me. Two of my favorite people. Well, I guess it depends what place we're in. If we go 12, 13, 14, <laughs> we're not going to be too happy. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, dude. Nothing wrong with that. More, t- more time on course to spend with friends. All right. We'll see you there, and then I'll see you afterwards. All right, boys. Have a good one. Thank you.